All right, everybody. Welcome to Theology Live. <laughs> What's that face mean? <laughs> you already got a smirk. How you feeling, Kevin? I feel good. I feel great. I, you know, everybody who's here right now, which, by the way, welcome, Dina and Kim. Good to see you. Thanks for being here. Everybody who's watching this who has not already seen last week's episode where Kevin just shut down one of the spiciest things you could ever eat. You have to go watch that. Yeah, my kids um, have wa- they specifically know they go, Dad, can we watch Kevin's Hot Minute? <laughs> they know that they know the phrase. We've only done it once. I know, but it's already caught on That's in awesome. the house. They're like, now, Dad, when you were gone, we watched Kevin's Hot mi- Minute. He defeated the strong man who couldn't take the spicy chip. That's really good. Now, just to tell everybody, Kevin's Hot Minute is not gone, but it's also not a segment that we're going to do every single week. But it will be back. But it'll be back. Jacob (laughs) says he just watched the Kenobi trailer. That is a name I have not heard in a long time. So that must, it just dropped then, because that's a... In the Star Wars universe, you would have seen that kind of trending and stuff like that. You know both of us would have seen it. So uh, glad to hear that you're hyped about it, Jacob. I'm sure this will be yeah. more exciting. Kenobi Loki underrated, man. He took evil Anakin Prime, took him out, man. That's true. He got the high ground. He did. It's over. But when even with the high, the high ground, ground, it's like that's Darth Vader Prime, man. He, sh- he should be able to take someone with the high ground. I feel like you might be disrespecting the high ground. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Uh, one thing I want to remind people of, just because we haven't talked about it in the last couple of weeks, is all of our episodes going back to close to the beginning, um, and then every new episode is available as a podcast now. So if you miss one and you would rather go listen to the podcast than um, watch it, or if you're going to listen while you're driving or exercising, and to or people exploring us for sponsorship, uh, that means there'll be two avenues in which your product will be mentioned. Yeah, and three because it's Spotify as well. Yeah, I guess. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. So if you have a um, bubbly caffeinated beverage or you make garlic fish. Or energy drinks. Yeah. Snacks. Bubbly carbonated beverage or energy drinks. Snacks. Yeah, basically and literally almost anything. You could sponsor Kevin's Hot Minute and we'll have Kevin eat your spicy product. That is actually, I mean, it's still not going to happen, but that is actually the best idea that's too easy no one makes hot stuff anymore well hold on oh he, he's all fixed he's bad now man yeah. look at no one makes hot stuff anymore okay now you're gonna see um, about this now I mean, ob- hot, obsessive it's, have kevin's hot minute coming back next week. it's coming back next week obsessive gardener <laughs> sent us peppers but that's not like you know he grew them but obsessive if you make like a very hot hot sauce and you want to market it dude that's the most natural you collaboration sponsor kevin's ever. hot minute you mean like Taco Bell Diablo sauce? Not that spicy. No, we're talking <laughs> like real. All I know is Kevin thinks he's bad now and he's going down. Yeah. He thinks this he's bad. Look at him. Yeah, pull your All face prideful. up, Kevin. All prideful. Look at, look at him. He's prideful. That's the face that comes before the fall. I find that so funny. You know what? Your the face, face before the fall. His face laughing right now is actually more red than when he ate the Pocky One Chip Challenge chip. I've turned up my hue. Yeah, I was going to say, that's just camera glow. tricks. He's that's turned up his tricks. hue. Now, uh, I will say you're you're the one who created this monster because you were like you were not just hyping him a lot, but you don't hype people. No, I don't. So I like for you down. to build somebody it's up, true. it actually went to his head that quickly. That's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem. Okay. So we'll we'll beat him. We'll beat him. But yeah, we're on podcast. So go listen. And it's a great way. Like if you're relatively new to the show and you want to kind of catch up on the back catalog, as yeah. podcasters say. 
Um, it's all there on Spotify. Those are the classics. They are. Those are what like you know the people who are the, like in the super cool in crowd though they think we're lame now and we sold out. Yeah. Because of all the sponsorships. All we the get, sponsorships. But, like, we back seek. when we were like true theologians <laughs> back in the day. Uh, we got a special Halloween episode next week. Yeah, special Halloween episode next week. It's going to be kind of a, hopefully as deep as we can go, deep dive into what Halloween actually is. Um, my daughter actually, I'm, I'm excited to research for this because my daughter asked me what Halloween is, and I know some stuff about the origins of it, but um, honestly, for me to kind of try to draw a line between what I know Halloween to be and like what yeah. she's seeing in our neighborhood yes. makes absolutely the no present sense. day manifestation of whatever was celebrated when it originally started. There's going to be obviously a yeah. a gap there. So we'll talk about some of that. If you've got questions about Halloween, um, shoot them to us. Part of what we're going to be talking about is you know different views of what Christians should do, how Christians should handle Halloween, and so yeah, that'll be next week. And uh, tune in for it. All right, should we dive in? Tonight's our Q and A episode. We've been in a long series on the Gospels. Hopefully, you guys have been enjoying that. We got some great questions. Good questions. Super good. Sometimes there's bad questions. These are good questions. These are all, I will go out on a limb and say all of these questions are good. Hopefully Mm -hmm. we have time to get to all of them. And if you're watching live, you are more than welcome to type a question in. um, If it's a follow-up on one of the ones we're talking about or just one that occurs to you. And we like the live questions and we also like likes. We do. Like we only got three likes and there's nothing like get to, it's going to be difficult because you actually have to like us for the content. And they're like, last week it was like, like it to hurt Kevin. Yes. And just went through the roof. It's true. Views are up. Likes are up. If there was a way we could hurt Kevin with your likes again, I'm sure we do great. But just, just give yeah, us some likes, subscribe hit the like button. You know how it is. Robbie okay. Lee, we have your question. Thank you so much for asking it again. I went back to the episode when you asked it, just like I promised, because I'm a trustworthy podcaster. I'm going to say that again. Um, and so I've got your question. It is in our list. We'll get to it for sure. All right, let's jump in. The first question is from uh, Mr. Ben Kenobi himself, Jacob Serpa. He asks, why does John the Baptist say he is not Elijah and Jesus says he is? That's a really good question um, and, uh, and not one that I think many people ask. But mm-hmm. the short version of kind of the background of the question, I'll just read a couple of verses here. I won't actually pull them up. I'll just read them to you. Um, John in John's gospel, John 1, 19 through 21 says this. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you, a, the, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Matthew 11, chapter 13, or sorry, 11, verse 13. This is Jesus talking. He says, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has mm-hmm. ears to hear, let him hear. So we have not a disagreement in terms of what the story is saying, but clearly a disagreement between John the Baptist and Jesus. John says, I'm not Elijah who is to come. Jesus says he was. The, Jesus says that, by the way, later after John has died. Um, now, side note here, this is kind of interesting. John says, I, they ask him, are you the prophet? Yeah. And he says, I am not. This is really interesting. Where do you think this is coming from? Like, what, what do you... what? It sounds to me like the, um, I hadn't even thought of this, but the the Mosaic prophecy that Moses says, a prophet yeah. like me will arise later. Yeah. Uh, and, well, no, that's that's not true. I was going to say, um, there is a, a strand in 
some of the Jewish community that the Messiah, that there would be two Messiahs, that mm. one would be a priestly Messiah and would be a kingly Messiah. So I don't know if there's differentiation of there's some type of prophetic role there. Is, I don't think there is, but um, yeah, they could be asking them, are you, are you the new Moses? Are you, are you the Messiah? Are you, there's also a sense in which, and I've heard you talk about this before, Isaac, that, that, uh, you know, you have Elijah who's kind of like the, yes. he is the absolute archetypal prophet. And he doesn't die. He is taken up to heaven in chariots of fire. And so in that tradition, you have different prophetic voices. And so it could almost be a different way of asking him the same question, right? Are you the prophet? Yeah. Are you Elijah? Yeah. Um, so, all right. A couple, a couple options here. The kind of simplest version. Super simple. And, and actually, let me just preface something yeah. real quick. The reason it's, this is so simple, but the reason why it's probably overlooked is because the way we approach scripture is we don't mm. allow there to be any narrative tension or ambiguity in the sense like, well, the simple answer is John didn't know. Yeah. And what I mean by narrative tension is it's like, well, no, John, it all has to be clean. Yeah. It's got if all John was up. it, then he knew. And then Jesus affirmed it rather than there being like, yeah, John's just out there preaching he doesn't he doesn't have he doesn't have the whole story he doesn't yeah. have the full picture in mind and there's a really good principle here of biblical interpretation which is you you need to learn to know the difference between something that is descriptive and something that is prescriptive this is a very complicated example of that but we're getting a story about what john says when he's asked a question there's no guarantee from that that john is right it's john just, could say yes and he not be right exactly and so i think the simplest answer is what isaac just said that john didn't know um, or in humility, he's saying, that's not me. And then Jesus later has a fuller vision of who Elijah is mm -hmm. and say, or who John is rather and saying, no, he actually is the one who was prophesied. Um, and the understanding of that would be, it's not as if Elijah is literally coming back, but the person and power and pattern of Isaiah's ministry is being manifested again yeah. in John. You said Isaiah, but you meant Elijah, I think. Yeah, I got confused because I thought I heard Kevin like, like cry or something like that. He found another little piece of chip. He found another hot sauce or something back there. He's like, oh. He crushed up a little piece of that chip and snorted it back confused, there. man. I was concerned about his safety. The other possibility here, um, and this is way, way, way more speculative because it's not, there's nothing saying this in the text, but John gives that answer when he's approached by uh, priests and Levites from Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. So John is in his ministry calling repentant Israelites out of Jerusalem into the wilderness to be baptized and to associate with this movement, and in some sense, instead of the movement of the temple, as yes. it is at that point. And so there's these representatives from the temple coming out and going, what are you doing here? Who are you? And so there, there's a possible, I'm not saying that it's possible that John's lying necessarily, but it might be like, I know what you mean by Elijah, mm. and I'm not what you think. I am not the old Elijah back again. Yes. So the answer to your question is no. Right, wink, wink. But I kind of am in a different way. So that's a possibility or, that it has to do with his audience. I mean, again, speaking of not everything lining up, maybe there's some bad guys and in a moment of fear, he goes, yeah. no, there's a debate about, okay, this is kind of sidetracks. We won't spend too long, but because we don't want to say, well, in a moment of fear, he doesn't want to say yes to the bad guys because he doesn't want to get killed. There's a, there's a passage where John actually sends um, word to Jesus and says, are you the, the one to come? Yes. And people go, how is John? It's his whole job to announce the he, one to he come. He is announcing him. He baptized him. And, it, and you have this picture-perfect idea of John that he would never. And it's like, no, maybe he's in prison, and now he's doubting. If Jesus is the, the actual Messiah, because yeah. wait, why am I in prison? 
or it could just be he wanted further affirmation. But again, to the point of the scripture is, is revealing the story, and it's not as if everyone is consciously aware, aware of all the inner mechanics of right. God's unfolding sovereign plan. And it's one of the biggest things with that descriptive-prescriptive divide is you have one character in scripture who everything he says you can trust that it's true, and that's mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Um, and, and God, I would say also God speaking through prophets would also apply to this. But um, we typically like, I know for me growing up, it's like I expect everything David does will be good and everything he says should be true. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you read some stories and go, well, David's whack. Yeah. Solomon's whack. All these guys are whack and yep. they're making crazy, terrible decisions. Yep. And so um, I'm not saying John's whack and he's making terrible decisions. Scripture but looks could he have had, had moments of doubt? I mean, yeah, of course. Yeah. And at the very least, for him to, in humility, misunderstand his role or, mm-hmm. or minimize. I mean, that's kind of his thing. Is he's, I'm minimizing myself and ma- maximizing yeah. the Messiah. Yep. So, um, and Don Carson um, has a similar opinion in his commentary on John. You call them Don. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not. Uh, me and Don are buddies. Yeah, there's, if you're not on the outside, <laughs> there's N.T. Wright and D.A. Carson. Yeah. If you're one of the boys. It's Tom Wright. There's Tom Wright and Don, and Don Carson. Carson. I said Don Carson with such an unearned level of familiarity Yeah, like just you, ain't, you ain't his friend, man. He would take off his little glasses and be yeah. like Canadianly angry yeah, at me. He He's would. Canadian, right? Yeah. He I should know that if I'm on a first name. French Canadian. Don. French Canadian even. Dude speaks French. And a, probably a hundred other languages. He's a brilliant Bible scholar. But I know he, I, I know him as Donnie. I mean, we're Don, just on that kind of level. Donnie Karkar? <laughs> yeah, just... <laughs> he wanted the boys, man. Donnie Karkar, me and Tommy Wright were... Uh, all right, so he, he... I won't read the entire quote, but it's just... He basically, this is a brilliant scholar who's making a similar point. He says, Jesus identified John the Baptist with the promised Elijah, but the authors never suggest that John the Baptist himself made that connection. And so again... Just a, a good kind of general principle that as you're reading, just because a character says something mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's true. The example we always use of this is that in Job, half the text is spoken by people who God will later say, you were wrong about me. Yeah. So you can't just, you have to see it all in context. So, all right, great question, Jacob. All right, question number two. Anna Marie Llewellyn asks, I saw a meme this week. And I wish I copied it because I've lost the reference, but the person warned of the devil's influence over scripture changes like, quote, you are saved in the King James Version versus, quote, you are being saved in ESV or NIV. Not sure what to think here. I'm pretty sure this is referencing one of Paul's books or letters, but the Gospels must have a few changes that are significant too. Please elaborate. This is a really good question, and she's, in this meme, she's interacting with the edge of a, of a, surprisingly large group of people Mm -hmm. who are what we call King James version only Christians. And there's uh, a big variety within that camp as far as like how hardcore they are, what they believe about the text. But the short version is there are Christians who say King James is the uncorrupted text. This is the only version that has not been corrupted by man over the the translation is authorized, not only by King James, but by God. This is the one. And so, um, it's frankly, it's kind of a strange view to have, um, Probably something that at some point maybe we do a whole video on it just to kind of we could do a deep dive. I don't know that much about it, um, but that's so there. And th- here I'll show you. I actually think I found the exact meme that um, Anna Maria was talking about. You want to pull up that first meme in there, Kev? So this will be hard for you to see, and if you're listening um, just to the audio, I'll say it. This is a comparative chart of First Corinthians one eighteen, and the and the question it asks at the top is: Are you saved or are you being saved? 
King James Version says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Next you have the New King James. And um, to make a long story short, it lists New King James, NIV, ESV, NLT, and all of those switch you are saved to you are being saved. That's because the NLT is the New Liars translation. <laughs> the the ESV. ESV is the Eastern Satan version. <laughs> Kevin, I got You took it off, man. Put Wait, it back. Keep it, keep it. He's got to make up a Eastern Satan is my favorite so far. The though. nearly inaccurate version for the NIV and the non-canonical judgmental version. Yeah, that's good. Canonical man. with a K, though. Yeah, I like. Oh, that's, uh, that's I just like the, the Eastern Satan. <laughs> the question is: Is it an Eastern version influenced by Satan, or is there a separate Satan for the East and the West? Yeah, the, well, there's the Western Satan version too, man. There's that's the <laughs> WSV. So, so they would say, they go, listen, this is clearly corruption. This much older version that we've had for a long time of, the, of an English translation yeah. says, you are saved. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, all these newer translations are saying, you are being saved. Yeah. And that's a different theological yeah, one reality. Is, you're saved by Christ. You're, you're forgiven. You're, you're justified. Your salvation is secure. Look at these other ones. Yeah. They're sneaking in some type of works righteousness where you're being saved because if you don't continue going down this path, which has to be some version of works or deeds, then you can fall away. Yeah. So, so there's this way to sneak in. Now, for this particular example, and then we'll show another one that's, that's a little bit more complicated, there is an incredibly simple and short answer. And this is part of why I've never done a deep dive on king james version only people because i'm just like this is so open and shut mm -hmm. and the answer is in greek it says you are being saved not you yes. are saved and there's king a reason james why every all those other translations done by christians those aren't those are all translations done by conservative christians the niv the esv the new living those new aren't king like james new king james super solid um and there's scholarly consensus that that form of the word yeah. in greek and a first year seminary greek student can look at that word and see it's a participle, so it's describing yeah. an ongoing activity. And theologically, when we've taught on this before, the Bible has a language of you are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Yeah. Forget just being saved in the present. There's scriptures that say you will be saved because yeah. you will be saved on the last day. Right. So there is a past, present, and future component of salvation. That's not to say that when you put faith in Jesus, you can't say I'm saved because you are saved. Your sins are forgiven. You're sealed with the spirit who is the promise of your inheritance. All of that stuff is true. Um, but that doesn't negate the fact that there's other stuff going, right. going on. And we don't want to smack talk the King James Version because honestly, if you read about the King James Version, it is inc an incredibly impressive translation based on yeah. what they had at the time, meaning the manuscript evidence they had, and just the kind of Greek and Hebrew scholarship they had. It's incredibly impressive for its time. It's a great time. translation. Even, even t it's still a great, I mean, it's a great, one of, one of our beefs with some modern translations is that they try to sound so precise. Well, that too. I was going to go down a different route, but yeah, that's a whole other thing, precision. But um, particularly our example with the CSB, oh, it's yeah, a Christian yeah. Standard Bible. It's a great translation. Great translation. We'll recommend it. But um, for instance, in Revelation most Bible translations will say, behold, behold the Lamb of God. And the language of behold has this sort of sacred feeling to it. It's religious language yeah. where the CSB rightfully translates behold for modern language as look the Lamb of God. Right. It's like technically that means the same thing. Because you don't go around, I mean, behold, Kevin eating the spicy chip. It's like, 
dude, look, Kevin just ate that chip. Yeah. So it's it's using the language of the day. The problem is it loses some of the feel of stuff. So I kind of like the feel of King James sure. in, in some areas. It's very memorizable. Yeah, it's got, memorable a, is the word the, people no, use. No, memorizable, man. <laughs> you know, but it has a it has a poetry to it. It's there's beauty to it. Yeah. But frankly. Um, like in that example, it's just incorrect. It's, it's an it's incorrect wrong. translation. And so the the scholarship at the time was not at the level that it is now. Um, and the manuscript data was yep. not there. So let's look at another example that's a little bit trickier. Um, this is the second one. Um, there's a ton of these. This one's really small, so you're going to have a hard time seeing it. But again, I'll read it to you. And this one's weird because the claim is even stranger. Um, Zechariah. Most people don't even know there's a Zechariah in the Bible. And by the way, it's awesome. So if you haven't read that one, read it. Zechariah, right, af- right after Hezekiah, go two books over. Yeah, two books it. over from Hezekiah and right before Nehemiah. Zechariah 13.6. This is um, the original. I'll start at the bottom, which is not what they do. But it says the King James Bible translation. And one shall say unto him, what are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Then it shows version after version, and it's the, the exact same four from the last one, um, and they all change where the wounds are. So This King one James, has the, the uh, New American Standard, the not accurate standard. Oh, the not way. accurate standard. Yeah. <laughs> not the devil of the East? No, that's well, the other one. Wait, what was Eastern There's Saint, the Western. The Eastern Saint Yeah, there's version. the Western and Eastern version. They're both corrupted. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. So the New American Standard, instead of wounds in thine hands, it's wounds between your arms. English Standard, wounds on your back. New Living Translation, wounds on your chest. NIV, wounds on your body. And it, this one makes the claim these are all changed for copyright, which I don't even know what that's supposed to say because that does not at all apply to a translation of the Bible. But at the bottom it says words that are what? different. Yeah, they all say it's changed for copyright. I don't even know what they're trying to say. But it says, words that are different are not the same. Does it matter? God says, yes, every word of God is pure. Now, this one, at first you look at it, and it's kind of like a, a smoking gun for modern translations being whack because you're like, they all say something different. It's like wounds are there on, King yeah. James has it on your hands, very Christological, but all of a sudden it's like they're on my the body, yeah. the back, the chest. And if you're unknowing, again, it feels like, well, wait a second. King James clearly is, is telling the gospel truth. Right. The wounds are in the hands. Um, and so oftentimes you can, you can make an error by wanting something to sound more Christian that you actually neglect truth. Right. It's like, no, we're so focused on this sounding like Jesus that we're going to neglect what is actually being said. Yeah. Now pull up my, pull up my screen here, Kev. I pulled it up in the ESV, and this is just to show you how important your footnotes are and that you should pay attention to them. ESV says, if one asks him, what are these wounds on your back? So they went with back. But there's also a footnote here, and the footnote tells you, or on your chest, and then it gives you the key. Because the Hebrew literally means wounds between your hands. Now, that immediately unlocks the entire controversy and shows that it's not a problem at all. So if you go, if you have wounds between my hands, then some people go, okay, King James mistakenly, again, translated mm-hmm. wounds on my hands, which is not what it says in mm-hmm. Hebrew. All these other guys are like, well, if it's between my hands, then it's my chest or it's my back or it's on my body. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so th- and this is a key. 
if you have a solid modern translation, you will have a footnote on something controversial like this that'll say what the controversy is. Mm -hmm. So it says chest or back because it's, and it even tells you why. Um, so yeah, to make a long story short here, most of the issues that you find with King James Version stuff that doesn't match up, it's never a smoking gun. It's either unclear Hebrew and Greek, like that last example, um, that has multiple ways of translating it, or it's that our understanding of the language is better. Yeah. Or, and this is a big one, we talked about this a couple times this uh, during the series, manuscript evidence has just exploded. Huge. So there, we're actually, in, in one of our later questions, going to look at an example of this, but there's just, when they did the King James Version, they might have had one or two manuscripts of a section, and so they go with what's there. And we have so many more now, we know how to prioritize, hey, this is probably not original because mm -hmm. it's only in this one, and here's 10 others that Yeah, and even it. with all of this said, and this, this will get to a question I think later as well, your, your theology is not being changed. Right. Or it's like, okay, ch let's, let's say that the ESV's wrong, and they put your chest instead of your hands. It's like, oh, now we won't know that Jesus was crucified? Right, exactly. Like, we know that their nails was was that they where they were put, whether it's the hand or the wrist, you know, I know that yeah. debate. But like no one's going, Oh man, that now there's a mystery about what really happened. So it's just a lot of it's nonsensical and it kinda comes to you at this like, see, they're slowly twisting things and it's like Yeah. No, no, this is this is not the case. So honestly, nothing really wrong with the King James. It's definitely not as accurate, not as precise as solid modern translations are. Um, but it's beautiful, great to read, great to memorize. Um, but honestly, if a disagreement is pointed out and they have things like the NSV or the, uh, the NASB, ESV, ABC. those are going to be more accurate. The ABC. ABCs, the Eastern Satan version. I cannot get over that for some reason. Obsessive Gardener. Hey, you weren't here earlier, but we need um, some homemade hot sauce and make it hot because we got to put Kevin in his place. Kevin's become prideful. And pride goes before the burning of the mouth. Yeah, he in seven days, you know, he even just is, he's walking around the he's got like a strut around the office now, looking down upon. That's people. That's true. I heard him yelling in Isaac's office the other day. You can't tell me what to do anymore. I yeah. ate that chip. I wasn't even in the room though. See, that's <laughs> yeah, the problem. He Isaac was just wasn't trying to even act there. Up. He was practicing. <laughs> the next time Isaac disagrees, <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. And then I look in, and the office is just empty. I'm just warming up. All right. Should we do the Tweet of the Week? What do you think? Oh, hit it. Here it comes. Here it comes. Oh, that's the good one. That's the good one. All right. Pull it. <laughs> Wait, this going on this long? Oh, I know what this is from. That's from the Three Amigos. Indeed. It's, w it's when he's signaling the other amigos he's supposed to do a bird signal and they're not hearing him because his bird signal's too good. Uh, and then he, you don't like the three amigos? I'm not remotely surprised by this. Here's a little fun fact for all of you viewers. Isaac doesn't like things that everyone else likes, especially <laughs> funny things. You could have just stopped on things. Isaac doesn't <laughs> like things. Move it on. Certain things, <laughs> but a lot of things. Okay, you ready for tweet? Yeah, pull up the tweet of the week. This is another one where we... All right. I do like that tweet, That though. one's good. We have blacked out this um, Twitter user's name because it's one that we're going to be critical of. Um, we're trying not to hate. We're trying not to be haters. So if we're going to hate on something, we're going to at least do it with them remaining anonymous. Here's a tweet that 
is from October 14th this year. So I didn't have to go searching for this one. This just came up in my feed. And it says, my newest podcast episode is about how the concept of biblical inerrancy was only created in the past few hundred years to oppress people. And I don't know if some of you are ready for that conversation. I don't like things. <laughs> this thing, to be fair. Oh, Obsessive Gardener wants to know if you, if you ate a whole reaper. He has not yet, but maybe that's the next hot minute. So that, that tweet, there are so many, so many things genuinely to dislike about it we will only comment on the theology on the claim yes i I don't know about you dude i'm right now i am actively holding back all the ways i want to make fun of this tweet for real they're like right i'm not (laughs) my mind are on heavenly things your mind are on heavenly things good (laughs) so uh the claim he made, we'll just talk about his theological claim. He says, the idea, can you pull it up one more time, Kevin? I want to be precise. He says, the concept of biblical inerrancy, the concept of biblical inerrancy was only created in the past few hundred years to oppress people. Um, so people at, at home listening and watching, how would you fact check this? It's an important question. So he said, you read that and he, it throws you for a loop. You go, Inerrancy is only 200 years old. Inerrancy, the idea that everything in the Bible is true and trustworthy, that's only a 200-year-old idea. Wow. How would you go fact-check this? The simplest thing you could do is say, hey, did, well, let me Google. Literally, you guys, this is the, this is the trick of this show. <laughs> Half this stuff is one Google away. You could go Google church fathers inerrancy and see yeah. if there's somebody from longer ago than 200 years. Yeah who believed that the Bible... And, and to be clear, this is why we're being precise. He didn't say the Chicago statement of inerrancy. Mm-hmm. He didn't say inerrancy as conceived of by modern fundamentalists. Because, he yes. said the concept of inerrancy. Because to, to, to be as nuanced as we could be, there's different understandings of inerrancy and how it works and the inner mechanics of it, if you will. And so there's very famous formulations, as you mentioned, the Chicago Statement of Inerrancy. But just as a broad concept, the idea that the Bible is perfect or it's without error or that it's inspired by the Spirit so that there's there's nothing false in it. Right. Um, broad, these are broad categories. And again, some people say, well, that's not true inerrancy. Well, maybe it's not Chicago Statement version of inerrancy, but you're in the concept of inerrancy, yeah. certainly. And when I read that tweet, I was like, I'm certainly going to find some church fathers who talk about inerrancy. But I was honestly, just telling the truth here, shocked by how strong of statements of inerrancy you find incredibly Be- early. Yes, because historically, in the last hundred years, eh, it depends on how you date it, but there's like really modern debates about inerrancy and it's become a hot button issue. And again, exactly. What do you mean when you say the Bible is the word of God or without error or perfect or truthful and all that, all that it says. So there's very modern debates around the specific word inerrancy. So you would think when they're not having those debates, you'd get quotes that talk about the awesomeness of the word of God, but because they're not having debates, conservative theologians aren't wrestling with liberal, liberal theologians interpret right. Augustine isn't wrestling with that. Right. So we, you know, you kind of first glance would be, oh man, I know they're going to be say a lot of good things about the Bible, but I don't know if they will be as specific as we'd like them to be pertaining to the concept of inerrancy. But check this out. We'll just give a couple examples. We could over and over again, 
read thing after thing that is crystal clear. Here's just a couple. Clement of Rome, who, who lived from 30 A.D. to 100 A.D. He's a true O.G. So this is a real O.G. This is like a dude who is an actual apostolic father, the time of the apostles. He says, Be contentious and zealous, brothers, but about things that relate to salvation. You have searched the scriptures, which are true, which were given by the Holy Spirit. You know that nothing unrighteous or counterfeit is written in them. This is within decades of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Nothing unrighteous or counterfeit. Nothing wrong. Go forward a little bit. You've got Justin Martyr. When you hear the utterance of the prophets spoken as it were personally, you must not suppose that they are spoken by the inspired men themselves, but by the divine word who moves them. We must not suppose that the language proceeds from the men who are inspired, but from the divine word which moves in them. That's actually a stronger definition than most modern theologians who would hold to like the Chicago yeah. State. We actually so, typically yeah. nuance it more than that. Yes. That we, we would say that the it's human. the Holy Spirit working through human. So it's both human authors and the Holy Spirit working together to get across truth that is not filled with any fault, that does not contain any false. Right. But that's just like that. Ah, not this even the God, men are involved. This is Holy Spirit. It's God typed it up and gave it to him. We'll do just one more because we really could do this all day. And this is these are all so early. So here's another one from Irenaeus, second century A.D., He says, the scriptures, this is so strong. It it actually stunned me. The scriptures are indeed perfect since they were spoken by the word of God and his spirit. He added, the scriptures are the ground and pillar of our faith. The writings of those apostles being the disciples of truth are above all falsehood. And then finally, this from a different section, the scriptures are indeed perfect since they were spoken by the word of God and his spirit. So that's just really quick, three examples all from the first 200 years yeah. of Christianity, saying the Bible is perfect. Mm-hmm. It's the word of God. And so it's one of those things, and this is just the reason why we chose this tweet is because people will just make these assertions. This makes stuff up all the time. And we're like, oh, wow. And I'm sure that his podcast episode had all this stuff about people genuinely using the Bible to oppress people, yeah. which yeah. they, of course, have. Yes. But... But it, that's a very different claim to say that, hey, people used the Bible and talked about how it's the inerrant word of God in order to oppress other people. Yes, they did. That's a different claim than the concept of yeah. inerrancy only existed 200 and years that's, ago. And that's an important note because a lot of stuff, a lot of things that are said today, they'll have an emotional resonance because you, possibly you as an individual, have experienced something akin to that. So you grew up in a church environment where people use the Bible in this unhealthy, oppressive, judgmental way. Um, And you've experienced the pain of the Bible being abused and used in that manner. And so there's an immediate emotional resonance. You know what? My whole upbringing was that. Yeah. Was, Was evil men using the Bible in evil ways. And so that emotional resonance makes you likely kind of go, okay, I'm on board with that. When you just have to be careful because its ability to create emotional resonance does not mean that the statement is true in, in in actually in the most simplest sense. Yeah. It's just not true. So this is just a, a plug for just check somebody's work, especially if something shocks you or if it rattles your faith in some way. And you don't even have to, I said, Google it. You could, this is where being connected to a church where you trust the leadership is healthy. Um, I know there are people who watch this and listen to this who don't go to our church. Hopefully you go to a church um, where you could email your pastor and be like, hey, is this true? What's the deal with this? Um, 
And of course, if you go to this church and you have a hard question, you can always text it to Kevin. His phone number? Well, his address, his street address. Is, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. You mind that being published check, on the internet? Check Kevin? us. I mean, that's I, right. I, I, yeah. I tell that to the congregation every every couple years, just as a reminder. Like, I'm not speaking inerrant truth. I'm. I, we labor in the word and in prayer to communicate these truths to the best of our abilities. But um, if you're a pastor and you don't think you've said wrong th- things right. in sermons, think again. You're, dude. Pride comes before the fall. Was it N.T. Wright who said? Like ten percent of what I say is incorrect. The problem is I never know. Yeah, which he 10% starts off some of his. Sem- he used to back in the day, I guess, start off seminary courses by saying, "Look, here's the good news. Uh, about ninety percent of what I'm going to teach you, I feel pretty confident about. I know I'm wrong about ten percent. I just don't know what ten percent. Yeah, and that's true. That's true. So there's your tweet of the week. Let's keep going with the Q and A because time is slipping, slipping, slipping. Are we going to get our YouTube video pulled because I'm referencing a <laughs> an excellent. Do you like that song? I don't even know what you're talking about. Really? You I never, don't know what you're talking about. never seen Space Jam? Maybe. A long <laughs> time ago. I'm going to play you a song after this episode is over. All right. So this is a quick one. Suzanne Lopez asks, oh, I skipped one. You're right. I skipped my own wife. This is a question from Christina Whitaker, who sounds like a beautiful woman, by the way. She says, just by her name, that'd be so creepy, huh? That's like, I just did the like creepy pastor thing that I hate. I know, man. You know what I mean? I'll bounce it out. Sam Whitaker sounded like an ugly name. Thanks, man. (laughs) We're not going to talk about pastors talking about how attractive their wives are. You ugly, man. So Christina Whitaker says, Luke's list of the disciples include two men named Judas, but there's only one Judas mentioned in the other gospels. Oh, why does is the the question at the beginning. So um, she noticed that in Luke, you have this, you have a disciple list in all three synoptic gospels and the names are slightly different. So, um, and this is actually not the only difference, but there is two different Judases who have different um, disambiguators uh, attached to their names to let you know which one's which. And then in uh, Matthew and Mark, you don't have Judases. You don't, you only have one Judas. The bat- you, you're trying not to make fun of me for saying disambiguator. I tried to, you know, what's funny is <laughs> I, I technically am, am, Sort of highly educated. You're not but sort I, of highly no, educated. No, no, I you sort of. No, 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 I don't. I real, but I just <laughs> look down upon like anything like that. It's like, oh god, there is not another word that means what that word means. This I, is not I about see that word on wiki every now and then. This is not about doctorates. This is about homeschool. Let's be clear. That's true. That's what's happening. That's this true is because a, what I say earlier, my mind are re- ain't ready. You said for my that. mind aren't ready. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the best things about Isaac's preaching is that on the one hand, you're getting like a like a doctorate-level, educated, theologically brilliant mind, but he's also going to say, like, I ain't got no, as part of his... <laughs> I, I, this Sunday, I said, the, the, I think the ending of the, the sermon was, you ain't got no hope but Jesus, man. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And it is true. And meanwhile, I'm like, disambiguating. Yeah. So, uh-huh. okay. There's there's a nice Nahamu or whatever. <laughs> what did you say? No, I said. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. Instead of Naaman, I said Naaman. <laughs> I thought it was Nahamu or something. No, man. I said Naaman <laughs> instead of Naaman, and I got rightfully mocked for it. Okay, let's get disambiguous. All right, so let's get a little disambiguous with it. Actually, that is what we're doing. If you knew what that word meant, you would know that that is what we're doing. <laughs> 
Here's the short and simple answer. A um, lot of people in this time period, and this is also true in the modern world, but it was, it was even more, it happened in this way in the ancient world, have more than one name that they're called by. We know pl- tons of Bible characters who this is the case for. Paul is both called Paul and Saul. Peter is called Simon and Peter and Cephas. Um, and there are many other examples like that. And so the, in the place of Judas, in the other two synoptic accounts, in Matthew and Mark, there's a character named Thaddeus, a disciple named Thaddeus. And so um, just by kind of process of elimination, this is the same guy, but he has two different names that he's called by. And again, there are, other, there are actually other disciples of whom this is also the case. So there's a Bartholomew in John mm-hmm. who um, is in the other Gospels called Nathaniel. And that's almost certainly the same person. That example is a little more obvious because Bartholomew is a family name. Mm-hmm. It's like a last name. It means son of Bar is Ptolemy, whatever. So yeah, Bar means son. So son um, of Mew. Yeah. So the short version there is just that many Bible characters have multiple names that they're called by. Just like you might have nicknames or like a family name that your parents call you or your buddies call you that no one else does, and uh, that's the case here. It's confusing though. Super confusing. It can be confusing. And especially if you're like if you're you know a Bible completionist and you're trying to memorize the names of the apostles and you're like, the the other place this happens is in the tribes of the old Testament. Uh, that one's really super complicated. It's annoying. And it, and it, it's really annoying and it's really hard to try to figure out the significance because there's yeah. the short version is there's 12 tribes, but there's actually not, there's 11. And then there's two half tribes that share the tribeship mm-hmm. of Joseph. And so, um, when there the biblical authors will always use 12, but which one they leave out and which one they include changes sometimes. And some of it's just prominence. Ephraim becomes a very prominent tribe yeah. in the in the northern kingdom. And so anyway, confusing, but not not theologically not problem. problematic. All right, next question. Suzanne Lopez asks, the star the wise men followed. Which star was it, and did it literally shine a light where Jesus was? Just trying to get our heads around how the star worked to get the wise men to the manger. Um, this is a good question because this is one of those, there's many things like this where there are images we have in our heads because of kind of Christmas pop culture stuff mm-hmm. that are not necessarily the way that the Bible to- story tells it. Or the Bible is just way less cl- like specific. And so it's it could have been that way or maybe not. All we know, all we can say for sure about the star is that the wise men follow it to Bethlehem. And then Matthew 2.9 does say specifically that the star came to rest above the place where the child was. That's all. That's mm-hmm. as specific as it gets. It definitely, in my opinion, sounds like the star is is a supernatural event rather than yep. just a, like, because, uh, I mean, people have done a bunch of work, right, to try to, like. Tons, tons, yeah. People have really tried to figure out stars in the sky. Okay, what star could it possibly be this? What about this planet? What about this? And try to figure out sort of a materialist, yeah, slightly supernatural, like a supernatural timing, but there is a naturalistic explanation for how it could have happened. Yes, so they'll look at like, like planetary movement over throughout history and say, hey, if we go back to the year that Jesus was probably born, to the day he might have been born, hey, maybe there was a. And I'm, uh, I don't want to, you know, talk that down. That's a really interesting thing. You can definitely research it if, if that interests you. Mm-hmm. To me, a plain reading of the text would imply that this is a supernatural event happening. The star yes. seems to be moving. It's not crystal clear, but it seems to be moving. Um, so yeah, that's that's all we can say definitively about it is that it came to 
to rest above where the child was. It doesn't say that it like shined down right on, you know. The yeah, and that pe- he's people in. back in the day, of course, had all kinds of views of of stars and heavenly bodies. I mean, I'm sure there's people who who write about how it was actually an angel who's a host of heaven leaving right. them. Could have been a star in Roman times um, when Caesars were said to die. They'd often say that a star appeared in the sky and it ascended to the place of the gods and it was a way to deify the dead, mm. the dead Caesar. So there's all kinds of like explanations of yeah. this. And that's a really cool rabbit trail to, to explore is that if there's a star that goes up when a Caesar dies, yeah, what does it mean that there's this star that's up when Jesus is born? Ooh. Yeah. And people, people have made similar arguments to try it. It's funny. Depending upon what framework you're coming from, people would use those arguments to kind of defeat the historical reliability of the gospel. So people have made mm. the argument that the early Christians just adopted this pagan Roman thing about stars to, to kind of give significance to to the gospel. And, and like from a different standpoint, it'd be like, no, God did this supernatural miracle because the whole pagan world believed that Caesar's ascended to the place of God. And he goes, guess what? My boy, he God came down, down. Type, type of thing. That's, so, I mean, that's just so cool. Yeah. I love that. And Could have been re- a firefly. The point is this. Here's the thing, man. <laughs> Didn't know where that was coming from. Here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you believe God is somehow supernaturally involved in these events. It's a star. It's an angel. It's a firefly. Who knows? Right. God is supernaturally doing this. Don't be afraid because yes. you're born in a materialist culture to say, no, God just did something. They did this with... Um, the parting of the Red Sea. There's yeah. all kinds of arguments about. It's actually a really thin there's, part. There's of the, three yeah. feet, and the wind blows at certain time of year. They did this with the um, the the Nile turning to blood in in the, yeah. with the first plague. There's a bloom there's of some the kind bloom of bloom of some algae that kills. And of course, there's algae that do it, this type of stuff. There are definitely dinoflagellates that. Um, disambiguous. Dinoflagellate <laughs> <laughs> um, and and uh, disambiguous are shockingly similar. Big nerd words too. Mm-hmm. Now, but but your point is really a Dorks, good word. Dorcas Maximus. There's no <laughs> God can and does use naturalistic things to forward His will, but He also unequivocally uses yes supernatural. There's no way this could possibly have happened unless God did it. And as a Christian, pursue those things if they're interesting to you. But don't, please, please don't do it yeah. as a way to wiggle out of the supernatural. Because even if it's a materialist explanation. The worldview of the first Christians would have been like, well, who do you think? Right. Well, the sun rose, and you'd say, it's a miracle the sun rises. And then a modern person would say like, no, actually the sun rises because, and the Christian would be like, who do you think does that? Right. Who do you think is, who, what do you think holds these laws together? In yeah. Place? So like a good example of that, of where there is a naturalistic explanation would be, well, God didn't make the rainbow. The rainbow is the, mm-hmm. there's these water particles suspended in air and the light hits it. And I started this explanation mm-hmm. before realizing that I don't actually know how a rainbow hey, works. But here's, <laughs> here's the cool, no, but here's the cool thing is that bo- the bow, you can check me because remember, you're supposed to check what I the like, people say. I know say. where you're going and I like it. It's actually a war bow is the roots of that. So the image is is saying God's putting down he set his weapon his down. his weapon down against the humans saying boom boom that this weapon will not be raised so in cool. this manner again. But yeah, if if you're a Christian at base you believe that the son of God was born to a virgin woman that he died and then rose from the dead 3 days later. So Can we we're not wiggling out of supernatural events. It's part of it's part of our faith. So um, explore that stuff, but don't do it defensively and, and out of fear, I would say. 
I had more to say, but we need to move on. All right. We do. Oh my gosh, it's eight twenty. We got two more questions, and this next one's good. Okay. <coughs> this next one's good. Nobody who asks the other questions uh, take that as a as an insult. Anna Marie Llewellyn again. This is a great question. It says a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned that ninety eight percent ish of errors are insignificant, like name spellings and such, which do not affect the theology. But what is in that small percentage that is significant to the message? What do we need to be aware of? Is there a reference for finding these? So thank you for bringing this up because th- there is, what I said may have been unclear. Um, it's not that there are 98% that are insignificant spelling changes um, and then the other percentage are theologically significant. None of them are theologically significant. Um, literally zero. Um, but there are 98% that, are s- that have absolutely no difference even in meaning. So you couldn't even translate them into English differently. It's just like a slightly different letter. It's word order changes. Mm-hmm. The other, the 2%-ish, 1% to 2%, have meaningful difference, meaning that you can translate them differently and they say different things, not that they mean theological things that are contrary to Christian teaching. The guy smacked the dude. The guy punched the dude. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so um, just to be clear, there's there uh, like... Christian scholars and even like a scholar like Bart Ehrman, who's a skeptic, who doesn't believe in Christianity, all of them will say no major doctrine of Christianity is affected by any of these variants between texts. But there are some um, fairly like significant ones that pop out, not theologically significant, but they like change the text in a noticeable way. Um, We don't actually have time left to go through as many as we probably um, could have. But... uh, None except King James Version, First John five through seven. It's a good example. It's a great example. Now, but good. That doesn't change anything theologically, right? It just disappoints you that there's nothing as explicitly Nicene Trinitarian sounding as that, right? And we can because we don't have time to to necessarily dive all the way into it. A brief summary of what Robbie Lee brought up is that First um, John five six. There is a 5-7 that is a longer version that yes. basically has a really beautiful, perfect Trinitarian formula yes. in it. It says, clearly is a verse that sounds like post-Nicaea, Chalcedonian, Trinitarianism. Yeah. And the which sad- the, 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 <laughs> the Christian would always argue that the Trinity is clearly established in the Bible. What those councils are doing is giving Clarifying. systematic language and clarifying the language found in Scripture. So 1 John 5-7 doesn't change or alter it just takes away something that was like a, a really, super really succinct nice proof text. beautiful you know exposition of the trinity but like a a solid scholar or bible teacher now will not go to that verse no to prove the trinity there's all kinds of other places that we use and so um that is one where it's like man that you have nice. the verse so you could so people know exactly yeah yeah let's look at it so first john five First John five six six and seven yeah it flows seven into is the one that's added. seven is the problem yeah so First John five verse six says there is he who came by water and blood Jesus Christ not by water only but by water and the blood this is a weird verse no matter how you slice it uh, by the way yeah and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth verse seven only says for there are three that testify and then it goes on now if I switch over here to uh, you can leave it up, Kev, if it's if I'll switch over in Lagos to the King James Version. King James Version, verse seven says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, 
King James Version didn't make that up. There are manuscripts that say that, and they were the manuscripts that were available to the King James Version mm-hmm. translators. Um, the problem is, as manuscript evidence, I almost said proliferated, and then I stopped myself. I'm, I uh, you could use the big word. I'm <laughs> not going to say. I bit my. You saw me. I wasn't I saying it's anything. True. I made fun of myself. I was just sitting quiet, biting my tongue. Go ahead and let him use oh, those. Oh, Anna, Anna Marie Llewellyn's here. Awesome. Go no ahead and let him use life. those polysyllabic words hey, to impress you. the crowd. That's Go nice. ahead. That's nice. So, as manuscript evidence proliferated, um, you, we got older and better and more manuscripts. And the short version of this manuscript history on that verse is that there are only like three and they're late. Yeah. And when I say late, I mean like Very late. 15th century late. Like some dude in 1300s wrote a little note to himself for there are yeah. three that bear witness in heaven. In fact, that's actually exactly what it looks like, right? Mm-hmm. So the first, the oldest one, it's written in the margin or something like that. It's not actually even in the text. Then you get one a couple hundred years later where it's been interpolated yep. into the text. And then a couple hundred years later, it's again in the text. So long story short, that verse is not doesn't belong in the Bible. It's not part of the original, but we don't need it to, to believe in the Trinity. So um, great example. There's other ones if we had time to explore. There's a long ending of Mark that's almost certainly not original. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, everything in there, there are things in the long ending of Mark that have led to weird doctrinal stuff, but nothing. Th- but they've all had to take those even out of context yep. and misuse them. That's where we get like the weird snake handling, venomous serpent expressions of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's it doesn't teach that you should do that. That had to be misused even yes. to get there. Um, similarly, and this is one that, that does trouble a lot of people, is that the, the story oh, of the you're woman... break their hearts. Yeah, sorry, everybody. Shouldn't have you're done gonna it. Break, you're going to break Kevin's heart right now. Especially with only seven minutes left, and we've still got one more question. Um, uh, there's, a, at the end of John chapter 7, flowing into the beginning of John chapter 8, there's this famous and beautiful story of the woman caught in adultery. This is the story where Jesus tells them, you who is without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Beautiful story. Um, unfortunately, almost certainly not part of the original. No. And so if you have a solid modern translation, it'll probably be bracketed, at least footnoted. Saying this is actually a perfect example of when you should check what you're hearing. Because truth be told, that kind of sounds a little weird. Yeah. Like, wait a second, you're telling me that my beloved Bible story isn't in there? That sounds whack. Go, go research it, go look in your, in your Bibles yeah. and it's going to show you, it's going to, even though they include it, it's going to give you a footnote. And for people who love it, I'm going to give you some hope. Yeah. The hope is that this was a early story of Jesus that was held together in tradition and that people were telling this true story of Jesus because it was so good for several hundred years and then eventually, since so many people had this story in circulation, somebody added it to the Gospel of John. Um, but in the earliest manuscripts, that story is not there. Right. So it's very hard to make a case that that is perfect, inerrant word of God. But that is not to say, to give you hope, that something like that couldn't have happened. In yeah. fact, the, the fact that it was was accepted, says there was some t- degree of traditions holding on to this. Yeah, and, it, and I would argue, um, my personal, it's not even an argument, it's really just an opinion, but my opinion is that this story probably did happen. Um, and that it's, like you said, it's, it's a story that is known in, in early Christianity. Um, so yeah, I just did a quick search through a few different Bible versions. Go do this at home. Look at mm-hmm. the end of John chapter 7. ESV doesn't have it at all. Um, NIV has it, but it's bracketed, and it says... The early manuscripts, 
and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7:53 through 8:11. Um, and so again, trust your Bible. Have your a Bible, solid Bible are showing you their work. No one's hiding anything from yeah. you. There is no conspiracy. No one's trying to sneak this in. Um, and those are honestly, those are the three biggest examples of this that exist. There's a bunch of other tiny ones. It'll be like, you know, one version says the temple. One version says the temple, temple of, of God. God. One person says it's a, it's a demon that says, Jesus, son of God, why have you come to torment us? The other one just says, son of God, without yes. his name. Stuff like that that truly doesn't matter. And again, the key is if you have a solid Bible translation, they will be noted. Um, if you're interested in looking at a deeper dive on this, there's a really, really good old Mike Winger video on YouTube about this. So search uh, Mike Winger. The title of the video is How the Bible Was Changed. So check that out. Okay, we have four minutes to do this last question. we got to do it because Robbie Lee already asked for it. So this is Robbie Lee's question. He says, please harmonize the birth narratives of Luke and Matthew. Thanks. You think we can harmonize that? In four minutes. Okay, let me take a stab. Try it. The birth narratives of Luke and Matthew. Thanks. We harmonized it. No problem. See you guys later. We'll <laughs> that is that might go Done. down in history. Done. As the biggest pun of Theology Thursday history. I can't wait to see the critical reviews roll in, by the way, about our vocal performance on that too. That was solid. Yep. No pitch pipe, by the way. That was all from the dome. Okay, mm -hmm. so we well, will do this. It. We'll, we'll do this quickly. We harmonized it. We harmonized it, no problem. Um, what he means by harmonize is there, when we talked about the differences between the Gospels, and um, when there are Gospel accounts that don't agree perfectly, um, the, any attempt to kind of like, not attempt, but the ways that we kind of explain how they might fit, those mm -hmm. are called harmonizations. And so um, the biggest difference, and I'm guessing the one that Robbie Lee is, is thinking about, is that Matthew has this big significant story about Jesus and his family going to Egypt and waiting there in order to escape Herod trying to kill all the children in, in Bethlehem. And uh, Luke doesn't have that story at all. It just mm -hmm. has him going to Jerusalem, which is very close to Bethlehem, by the way, to do some kind of ritual stuff that Torah-observant Jews would do with their new children. And then it says they go to Nazareth, mm -hmm. and there's nothing in between. And so... This is honestly, in my opinion, um, even though much is made of it, this is not a particularly difficult harmonization as long as you are comfortable with and aware of the fact that, as we talked about in our episode about this, the gospel authors can and do compress stories yeah. all the time. This is, but it is a big leap for many people yeah. because we're, we're not taught this way. We don't think about compression. And why don't you oh, give an overview from yeah. that? Yeah, compression, the idea of compression is that the gospel authors are selecting and arranging from a pool of authoritative stories and teachings of Jesus, and they are selecting and arranging their gospels to prove the theological points they want to prove. This is normal in this type of literature. It's if you, you can leave a story out, put a, put a story in, they're all true stories, yeah. and they're not telling them in a dishonest way. Compression specifically is when, for the sake of the story I'm telling, I don't need all these details between A and B, so we're just going to squash those two things or together. there's A, B, C, D, E, F, and I'm going to take you from A to F yeah. immediately and skip over B, C, D, And F. we actually, again, we do this. So All the time. So here's, here's, here's an example. Um, it, Lord of the Rings, there's uh, extended editions. Yes, there is. And they're much longer. Okay. So you might have a scene in a Lord of the Rings movie where Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli are on some trail 
And then the next scene, all of a sudden they arrive at Rohan. Uh, but in the extended edition, there's a whole 40 minutes of all these other places that they went to. Right. But in one version, it's rushed. And the other one, it, it it's expounded. And they one decided, of, and it's exactly the same. It's a really good example because we had to get these movies to three hours long. And so this story is good and it's true, but it's not... Yeah. It's not necessary. One of the most, for those of you familiar with the movies, one of the most significant ones is, and if you haven't watched Return of the King Extended Edition, there's, like, I think the best scene in these movies, one of the best scenes, is before Aragorn leads the troops to the Black Gates for the final battle, this evil creature called the Mouth of Sauron yeah, comes out. so good. And he basically tells him, hey, look, we got, we have Frodo, here's the evidence, we tortured him. He died some horrific death. And then you get this true sense of the absolute despair that Aragorn is facing because, remember, they were going there with hopes that Frodo's still alive. They got proof he's dead. And so it's this absolute state of despair that in spite of that, Aragorn still bravely leads yeah. the charge. And I think that extended edition gives us much more, but some people would be like, well, no, we see why they skipped that because we wanted to go from here to there. Yeah. So it depends on what's trying to be told. In yeah. That and you might tell a version of the Lord of the Rings in which that, that theme of perseverance, even when all hope seems lost, that's right. if that's important to you, you include that. Mm -hmm. And it clearly is to you thematically in the story. That's right. And um, the makers of the film are like, Hey, it has to be three and a half hours long. And that's something the that theme go. we're going to focus on is not, you know, persevering when there's no hope. We're going to focus on bravery. Right. And we don't need to tell that part of it because we're getting this part. Now, once you understand that, and this is obvious, but because we're modern people and we approach the gospels wrong, when it doesn't work that way, we're like, oh no, what's going on? Matthew wants to get across certain points from the life of Jesus. Yeah. Mark does, Luke does, John does. And in this case, one gospel author didn't find that journey essential. Yeah. And the reason that Matthew does is because Matthew is incredibly focused on Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Yes. He's the new Moses. So for Matthew's theme building, it's incredibly important for Jesus to be the son of God who comes out of Egypt. And so that is a true story about Jesus's life that just wasn't, it wasn't thematically significant. And by the way, the gospel authors tell you that they're doing this. John at the end of his gospel says, this is some of the stories about Jesus. If I told you everything he did and said, there aren't mm -hmm. enough books in the world to fill those stories. Yep. So he, just, so he tells you, hey, I'm, pi I'm picking to, and he goes, these ones were chosen so that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that by believing in, you might have life in his name. So he tells you, I picked these for this yep. purpose. And they're all doing that. So great, great question. If you want more details on that, um, we did a whole episode in this series on differences between Hit the Gospels. Hit the like button. Hit the like button, especially if you want us to um, burn Kevin. Okay. Halloween week. episode next week. Halloween. Disambiguous. Disambiguous. Polysyllabic. Polysyllabic. I like it. I want to start doing a little flow. Yeah, you. Mathematic, <laughs> automatic, problematic. Problematic even. Dogmatic.